Hello, friend! You are listening to Down the Yellow Brick Pod, an all-things Wizard of Oz podcast that will take you over the rainbow and down a yellow brick rabbit hole as we pull back the curtain on American culture's most visited fairyland. We are your hosts, Tara and MK, the royal revisionists of Oz and roommates in Queens, New York here to preserve the rustic emeralds of yesteryear and reimagine an Oz for today and future generations. This season, we will be deep diving with the melodies of the many musical adaptations of L. Frank Baum's original Oz book, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, taking up residency in the 1939 classic MGM film, as well as the 70s super soul hit, The Wiz. Visit our Insta at Down the Yellow Brick Pod for an accompanying scrapbook and fave space to connect, as well as our Patreon community where we continue the escapism and entertainment with Tiny Oz concerts, acoustic coffee shop covers and mashups, not sponsored by NPR, and other good witchy perks for each Patreon tier. Our Patreons are truly our MVPs. Consider joining our Oz fam today, it would truly make our day. May the world of Oz continue to be a bewitching escape in bewildering years, nostalgic and nuanced, and a magical refuge where two gals and queens can cross yellow brick roads with wonders like you. Welcome back, listeners! You've made it to part two of 107 of Munchkinland. <laughs> There's so much to get into. We so we left off with the iconic Billy Burke entering via bubble with that amazing uh Technicolor special effect feat. Um and now she has landed and we're about to get into this first interaction between Dorothy and the residents of Oz. So Tear, we approach some iconic cinematic lines yes. like in the film history of the world yes. i would say these are up there wouldn't oh, you 100 percent. i think they actually are in like the in like the 100 percent. yeah these lines are these mm-hmm. lines have made lists i just remembered we like completely ditched dorothy and just went right for glinda we were like forget you we gotta get to billy burke <laughs> we're too excited dorothy but i just want to take a moment she does have a cool moment yeah she this is one of my favorite acting moments of judy garland in the whole picture oh, so like mm-hmm. the mouthing i can't handle when she opens the door and like is looking for words and her mouth is just kind of moving in like this overwhelm of gloriousness so amazing mm-hmm. her the Judy Dorothy arms go out like she's mm-hmm. in this like props up like floating on air like she's in the clouds like she's actually why we're somewhere over the rainbow like she's actually like I feeling, love that she's feeling it love that line me too and it's just so cool to watch her oh. slowly take everything in I'm so glad they give us that mute that moment it's that just, moment it's mm-hmm. So, so great. Before we get to, of course, this interaction with this woman who just pops out of a bubble. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I could, going off what you said, I could watch Judy Garland's face this whole scene. I mean, I never have the entire time because there's so much to watch. But maybe one of these days I'll just watch the scene and only watch her because she is so invested. We've already said that, but this scene in particular... She's not overacting. You believe that this is actually happening and she's taking it all in. How did she do this at age 16? Like, 
she's she's got a it's gift. It's perfect. Yeah, she's it's got, perfect. She's definitely got a gift, and I love like that. T- Toto's her scene partner right now. Everything no, she says so good. is to him. <laughs> Everything yeah. right now. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. We must be over the rainbow. Yeah, all of this, even like the first, like the now I I know we're not in Kansas anymore. That moment is to Toto, mm-hmm. which I love so much. She um, really, she's really talking to him, and that's yeah. something we loved in the book too. Is that Dorothy has never been truly alone. She's at least felt confident enough to talk out her her confusions, her thoughts because Toto's present. She could put that out there. Mm-hmm. Which if to- mm-hmm. if she did not have Toto, I don't know if she would have spoken out loud. Right. Maybe it just all would have been internal. Yeah. Something that something to think about. So we're in like Toto's just like, what's going on? Where yeah, are Toto, we? Toto's Why is just everything colorful on, now? He's on phased. <laughs> he's so cute to watch and all of this. He's just chilling. Yeah, I love him. So we get to Glinda's first question, M. Are you a good are witch? Are you a good witch? Or are you or a bad witch? Yes. <laughs> oh my I love goodness. it. I she's got to she's got to find out what's going on like hey are you an ominous presence but she probably already well i guess she doesn't know she knows that this new girl has arrived and has she already knows that the wicked witch of the east has been killed but she doesn't know if it was on accident if it was on purpose what's this person's angle well. or the dog even toto Toto could have caused it. I'm a little muddled. (laughs) That's that's what I'm a little muddled. That's my favorite line. Yeah. No, I so good. Yeah. So we know that she's been called somehow by the Munchkins. She's been beckoned somehow. So I wonder if there's like a code. Pretty quickly, the Munchkins have all scattered. They're all in Mm -hmm. um, flower pot camouflage mode. So (laughs) they're not present yet. We don't see them yet. We don't see their little. We don't see their little like heads um, bobbing or anything yet. Not just yet, yeah. But this question, this immediate, like, if I, this makes me think, like, if you are entering Oz as a stranger and you are female presenting, you are a witch. Like, there's either either one or the other. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. I mean, we talk a lot about how Oz doesn't, like, does and doesn't hold space for the gray. Like, it likes to put people in boxes of, like, good or bad. Um, and then I think the journey shows us a little bit of the gray. And of course, like Kansas mm-hmm. definitely represents a different kind of gray. But like complexities mm-hmm. are not really um, furbished or, you know, like fine tuned. It's either you're mm-hmm. one or the other. And mm-hmm. um, I wonder like what Glinda would have done if like this was not a good witch. Like how, like there's already, mm-hmm. there's already like a feeling that Glinda knows this is going to be totally okay like this whole situation is going to be great i mean we were talking about her motherly presence in part one yes and like Mm -hmm. how she like like you know she immediately is like comforting her with like loving touch like just like familial feeling yes she doesn't seem standoffish at all she seems like oh this young girl doesn't really know what's going on i shall walk her through what is happening because it's a lot yeah and this is all that no langley dialogue it's pretty it's mm-hmm. not long. It's pretty to the point. All this dialogue here. I love that she even thinks Toto's the witch. Like, that's one of my favorite little moments. Is that the witch? Is that the witch? Yeah, so good. So good. Um, and little Toto's just, like, staring back. It's perfect. <laughs> um, so we get into, like, oh, no, no, no. She doesn't know what witches are. And then we get into um, the fact that she says something like witches are old and ugly. And then Glinda, this uh-huh. is when the munchkins laugh for the first time. 
And Glinda yeah. is like, girl, um, I'm a witch. <laughs> I'm a witch. And but I'm she's hot. not even offended. She's just no. like, I. I know, right? There is that, like, I'm fierce. Like, look at me element. Check yourself, Dorothy. Yeah. I, I like that she's she's always smiling. She's always like, <laughs> she's just amused. She's not, you know, hurt by that at all. And Dorothy says, oh, well, I've never heard of a beautiful witch before. And Glinda says only bad witches are ugly. Yes, which this is all interesting. And I love that she curtsies on like that moment of like, oh, my goodness. Like when she's oh, having this realization of something. Bad manners. Right. Mm-hmm. And she realizes something she's been told her whole life is not necessarily true right in this moment. Right. It's like an interesting little moment to catch. And she's just, Judy is just so honest in all these moments. Same yeah, thing with Billy Burke. Sincere. Billy Burke is pretty like just like they're listening to each other there's such a strong Mm -hmm. listening connection that's happening that i Mm -hmm. love um yes and i love like now we get into the details well she did show her just to rewind she did share that that's all that's left at the wicked witch of the east so this is when Mm -hmm. we have to go back to this moment because yeah this is the iconic moment this is such a moment of like you've just killed someone and she just puts a hand over her mouth and she's like oh that is one of my favorite expressions from judy in this entire film slash ever the little like she really that's a meme right there her eyes get all wide she drops her lips her she drops her jaw she brings her hand right to the lips. Like, I know. wait, what? I just killed someone? I actually was thinking about that with, like, we have so much crap going on today of just, like, how people could use that moment as a meme for someone carelessly doing something. Because yeah. that's oh, what for it sure. feels like. But, like. You just killed someone, yeah. You just killed someone. She's just, like, hand over mouth. Oh. Whoops. Sorry. <laughs> and like in the context of this movie, it's perfect. Yeah. That moment is perfect. Right. But like totally get that, yeah. had that meme thought, which is not what anyone oh, yeah. would be thinking in the 1930s seeing this. But like today, <laughs> that's what we do. 2020, like, this could be a meme. Yeah. Yeah. Iconic moments that we all know from from pop culture, we make work yeah. in different ways. Like that's totally. Oh, and what that's we do. why they're so great, so universal. Yeah, and we get that quick close up of the two ru- ruby slippers with the black and white striped stockings. Yes, um, sticking out from under the house. Yeah, that's- that freaked me out as a kid. I was like, "Wait, what? There's also, two legs sticking out from under a house. That's very." Uh, I have it's a very violent. I have a feeling I really would have been a fan of the Wicked Witch of the East's fashion choices. Just based with the socks, yeah, socks. Wish we got a little more of her. <laughs> I know, but that looks it'd be very cool to hear. Like a brutal death. Just also gonna say I that no, she was <laughs> in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yep, sorry, girl. But yeah, there's the shoes. We Eek. get the shoes for the first time. We're getting all the information. We get the munchkins laughing. And this is when that we hear for the first mm-hmm. time, too. Like, you freed the munchkins. And mm-hmm. then, like, Judy, Dorothy, is just trying to stay on top of everything this whole time. Like, wait, wait, what? Like, it's like that kind wait, of energy. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But she's, mm-hmm. she's way more polite about it. Like, if this was 2021, she'd be like, wait, wait, go back. Rewind, <laughs> rewind. Like, what are you saying? Hi, hi, hi. Yeah. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm yeah. sorry. What did you say? But she asks, if you please, I love that, but if you please, what are um, munchkins? <laughs> she's being so kind. She's being so, so kind. And then this is where we get to meet the munchkins at the mention of you are now <laughs> their national heroine, my dear. Mm-hmm. Ah! And then the first <laughs> song is about to begin. 
in the Munchkin, what is now known as the Munchkinland medley, the first part, medley, come, come out, come out, wherever you are, will begin mm-hmm. in just a moment. But let's pause with the Munchkins just to get yep. a little magic of the Munchkins in. Since, they have arrived since they're giggling. Since we're starting to see that these flowers are um, have human beings underneath them. <laughs> yep. Let's. Talk about how the Munchkins um, came to be in this film. We started a little bit with casting, but we we kind of mm-hmm. left it ominous. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much. There's so much. Yeah. So, Leo Singer. Yep. It all begins sort of with him, right? He was the proprietor of what was called the Singer's Midgets. Um, yes. We'll call him a little person agent for yes. better language here. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Um, He was a German uh, Jewish man who found and trained um, little people as acrobats, singers, dancers, wrestlers, mostly in Germany and and Australia. So he he hadn't really worked with um, anyone in the United States just yet. Yeah, we'll talk about that, too, because, like, Mm -hmm. a lot of the munchkins were German. Which Mm -hmm. I didn't, I don't know if I knew this. Like, it feels vaguely like bells were going off, but I was like... I don't actually know if I knew this, but just to give you one little quote before you keep going um, from Jerry Marin, mm-hmm. Jerry Marin's book, just something on um, what he said about Leo Singer, just so we get like a little bit mm-hmm. about his energy. Yeah. Um, on the cross-country bus trip, so this is now jumping ahead, we'll get into this a little bit about how the Munchkins were basically heard it across country to come to mm-hmm. the Hollywood to do this. The casting call was a countrywide search. Um, a lot of um, the little people warned me about Leo Singer, and there were lots of stories going around about how he cheats his foreign little people and that he's a son of a bitch. <laughs> there were stories that he'd gather these little people from Europe and then take them to America where he'd be totally, uh, where they'd be totally dependent on him from from there on. So he said his situation was different, so he wasn't that worried, but he listened to all the stories and was very wary of Leo Singer. So just yes. to give a little, like, what his reputation 100%. was. 100%. Not mm-hmm. so good. Not so good. Continue on. 100%. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing. And that came up in all my research was his reputation, not the best. It not was like the best. he just wants the money in his own pocket. And he didn't see them as people. He didn't see them... As people, right. that's I think right something that we keep coming up with with Oz, like in all of our different mm-hmm. iterations of looking at bombs past, um, mm-hmm. just like recognizing when de- dehumanization dehumanization mm-hmm. is happening. This mm-hmm. is totally that, and there's this is it. There's a story in, in this Road to Oz book, Em, that I'm going to share with you, and you're going to be shook um, with <sighs> that story. But oh, one little other thing about Leo Singer, I knew nothing of. In the earlier 30s, he had a road show called The Teddy Bear in Oz. Did you know about this? No. So he already had an Oz connection. Let me tell you a little bit. And like, what? Jay and William, thank you for your genius. So it was this, I don't think it ran very long. It was in 1933. It was a fantasy Mm. dance segment that his singers, little people, we'll just name them that, Mm -hmm. singers, little people performed. Mm -hmm. But it was a new story of Oz that was presented in two scenes. It had 
uh, two pianos, original music. It featured 14 <laughs> ballet interludes. And there was, a, there, there was all these little girls from this Elsie um, Little's dance class. That's where, Of course, Elsie's Little's. This is all from Amarillo, Texas. This is where this was focused. Um, and they shared the bill with the singers, Little People. And it was a familiar story of Dorothy, but it also had polychrome. Come on. My favorite. Patchwork Girl was also involved. <gasps> yes, girl. And also I think um they were I think the main plot of this was they were searching for Princess Ozma, but then of course there was a pink <laughs> teddy bear and a wicked de- a wicked devil evil. <laughs> of course there was. Because this makes sense. Yep, he had a connection though. How random to Oz before That is so But this keeps happening, right? Like right. everyone we research, we're like, oh, just kidding. Uncle Henry was in the Wizard of Oz on Broadway. Like, right. This is wild. Right. And he I also he also really wanted to get um, little animals, too. Did you read this? Right. That's how it started, right? He was like, oh, we'll just get little we'll get animals. Little people, and they were like, little animals. No, but this, we don't want that. But he didn't come up with this. This was something that was also already happening. There was another movie in 1938 that was reported in The Hollywood mm. Reporter that I think some of the munchkins may have been in. Um mm that was called the terror of tiny town and they also had oh. like oh wow they also it was an all little person musical western produced by mm. um jed well and mayor would also be an associate producer of this um of course and they were both like searching for like novelties and little and little people and little mm. um, miniature uh animals like all of that they, they both were searching oh, wow. at the same time isn't that fascinating that is crazy. <laughs> so weird. Of course. I, I At this point, I'm not surprised by anything. <laughs> the Terror of Tiny Town. <laughs> the Terror of Tiny Town. Why did they name it that? I don't know, Um, I don't oh know. Oh, my gosh. Who knows? They did want, right. They did think about using children. Like, that was a Right. Big, that was a. We talked option. about that. They, they wanted mm-hmm. to put beards on, like, Mickey Rooney. Like, weird beards <laughs> on Mickey Rooney. <laughs> Why did that not happen? Please? Well, the big thing I was... Wish obvious child labor laws and also like right. wrangling yeah. a bunch of actual oh kids like they wanted and that this, would be so many and like so everything tutors like all of it but yeah I it makes sense i did not know this they were very influenced in this initial like vision of munchkinland being like maybe actual children really influenced mm-hmm. by um our gang follies of 1938 that's the little rascals crew um, they did something. Okay, let me tell you about this. It's so it's so wild. There's a dream. <laughs> there's a dream sequence where um, Alfalfa, you know him, finds himself in a juvenile nightclub. This was also a thing at the time to put little kids in like risky adult situations. Like Shirley Temple did a bunch of things right. called baby burlesques. Mm-hmm. They are highly uncomfortable to watch now. Like, <laughs> oh my it, gosh, I no. I think when I was younger, I thought they were cute and funny, but now I'm like, this is whoa. This not, should never okay. have been happening. And yeah. Shirley's stories are really awful about the filming yeah. process on that. But we won't, we don't mm-hmm. just, there's, that's a whole other rabbit hole, but just putting that out there. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, there's like, they're in this juvenile nightclub. There's over a hundred child actors, singers and dancers. And as Alfalfa enters his dreamlike state, spiraling, um, and it's it's so similar to how they did the Wizard of Oz, which is so mm. interesting. Um, he 
Okay, so in the, like one of these interludes in the Follies, Darla is, is dressed as a love bug who, sting, who stings the numbers <laughs> participants into declaring musical devotion for their partners. So there's all this like wacky, what? Rom- wacky Declare- romantics. She stings them? Yeah, and oh they're all gosh. children. And there's all these like insect size. Um, the scenery is like the scenery feels very insect size, but there's all these huge flowers that feel like the huge flowers in Munchkin Land. Um, and here's where there's a huge um, crossover. Some of the juvenile players are presented in brief vignettes and sets of three. And in various stereotypes, such as three Park mm. Avenue snobs, akin to how the Munchkin Lullaby League and Lollipop Guild are presented in Oz. So they kind of oh. maybe stole this a little bit from here. The three tough boys from the Bowery who appear in Follies could very well have inspired the Lollipop Guild trio. We'll talk more about that, mm-hmm. which was originally named Three Tough Kids. In my script, it says for the Lollipop Guild, Three Tough Kids. We'll get Whoa. into it. And then... um yeah, like, it's just, like, I didn't know anything, Em, about <gasps> Mine this. Mine says that, too. I didn't know anything about this Follies with the Little Rascal Kids. But the set was very similar. Um, there was um, Barnaby from Babes in Toyland. Remember him? He comes into this oh, world. And it's very much my. how, like, the Wicked Witch of the West enters and is, like, menacing. <laughs> And it's, but it's all revolving around Alfalfa instead of Dorothy. So it's really. This is so funny. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, What a weird crossover. Yeah, really, really interesting little crossover that I knew nothing about. But again, the decision to cast the Munchkins almost exclusively with adult little people would be more cost effective. As there would be no work restrictions right. for their onset time, as there were as there were for child actors, there would be, and we'll talk about them. They'll pop yeah. up. There would be like young girls who were sprinkled around, mm-hmm. and some of their stories yeah. are not very good. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, like yeah. six to twelve year olds who were sprinkled in the background to flesh it out. Yeah. Um, right. Because I think like they would say like Disney has seven dwarfs, we have seventy. That's what what, what they would say. Um, oh wow. MGM with this, but it was promotional propaganda. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's something I'm going to presence now that really shook me. I did not know anything about this. So they were clear in their, um, in what they wanted. This is the call for what they wanted. And it's, it's definitely offensive to read now. Dwarfs or deformed persons were not wanted. Little people being perfect humans expecting for size were wanted. That's what it said. Like, that's what it said in the breakdown. And it didn't say little people. It said the other word we're not using. So, yet a handful of munchkin players were clinically considered pituitary dwarfs with enlarged heads and stunted hands and feet, such as actors John George, reportedly a last-minute addition who had appeared in several Metro films in the 1920s with Law and Cheney. Most of the munchkins were indeed perfectly proportioned miniature adults, or midgets as they were com- commonly called at the time. Again, there's that word. In addition to disqualifying most people of dwarf stature, MGM kept its munchkin cast strictly Caucasian and refused to cast minorities. The irony being that the complexion hue of many Aussians were Mm. diverse. This didn't deter one African-American hopeful from answering the call for little people. In September 1938, Broadway reporter Regina Crew told of a 45-year-old Frankie Brown, described as a dark man, um who originally hailed from Oklahoma. Upon learning of the Oz casting call, the 40-inch tall Brown took leave from his job entertaining at the Glass Hat, 
the Belmont Plaza Hotel's nightclub in order to travel west for an interview with Mervyn Leroy. Though mm. reportedly perfectly portioned and well-formed, Brown returned to his New York act by October, apparently having been rejected for Oz, which was just as well. And in this book, it says, in this era, any on-screen appearance by Brown would have been for an undignified gag. Mm. Wow. Wow. Right? I was like, knew nothing of this. But I mean, there Mm-mm. there we go. We had, we talked about, obviously, how Lily White, the Wizard of Oz is. It's all mm-hmm. white people. Um, yeah. But just to hear that a uh, a little person of color tried to audition mm-hmm. for this and was turned away is just right. makes it more real. It makes it not feel like a separate, yeah. a separate world that was happening. And, you know, like, no, <laughs> this world is a whole no, place. I'm so glad you presence that. It's like every single little person actor in this film is white. So how can we, <laughs> we can't ignore that. So no. And I feel like that's not really mentioned. Like, I ha- I hadn't even found research that you found on that. So thanks for bringing that up. This is all Road to Oz. Like, I haven't seen some wow, of this research. Wow, thank you, Road to Oz. I know. I was like, this is insane research. Um, it's Right. I didn't know anything about this. But you know what mm-hmm. I did think of to go to a lighter thing? Because Little Rascals mm-hmm. came into my brain. I used to love the old yeah. Little Rascals movie. Loved it. And I think yeah. it's the end credits. They show the little girl who's playing Darla. Her name's Brittany, I think. And she, apparently during filming, they show bloopers with her. She could not not look at the camera. They'd be like, Brittany, stop looking at the oh, camera. Brittany! And she's just like... Get it together! She's just like, her, she's so little. And do you notice, oh. though, how many munchkins look at the camera oh, directly? A lot. a lot. There's also some some funny moments of, like, people just waving hands too early. Like, this must have been a little chaotic. There were 124 um munchkin characters um so that's a lot of people um in any scene to sort of like get wrangle. On the same yeah 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 that's, that's just so, hard no matter like what you're dealing crazy. with yeah. yeah well just to sort of continue a little bit with um how they came to mgm um leo singer was hired by mgm in 1938 and he decided to leave his own troupe um with his singers um, which had dwindled it to about 18 at the time. So it was, yes. it was just getting like a smaller group. And he was like, all right, I'm going to sweep across the country and find actors for this gig. And from what I'm, and a lot of yeah, my yeah, research yeah. was from Al Jean's book. No, um, great. She's, she got a lot with this, but it's hard, yeah. it's hard to like Al Jean stuff is just like, it is hard, hard to read now. The quotes that she pulls are real rough. And I want to presence that. Yeah. And even honestly, Googling, I feel like getting into some of the, like, folklore, right, of this movie, like, Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people, when they hear of, when they think of the munchkins in this film, they're like, oh, weren't they just wild and they caused trouble? And, like, that, that's a lot of what my Googling found was just, like, these uh, headlines that are just annoying of, like, Judy Garland and controversy with these munchkins. And I just, I'm not really into that, which we'll get into. Um, it sounds just like all um, sensationalized, yeah. like we need a headline type I don't, thing. I don't so know. So just keep that yeah. in mind if you read this book. Um, 
Yeah, so. and we'll get more into it. It definitely gets a little bit more serious, as um, mm-hmm. Sid Luft would later on report before he, post posthumously in the book that he wrote about Judy Garland that would go out, would say that mm-hmm. she was sexually harassed by Munchkins, right. which right. was not something anyone had known before. I don't think that was anything that was right. said before, though she did paint them not in a good light on um, interviews yeah. and stuff. So we'll get into, right. we'll get into that. But yeah. what is interesting is... Um, anything I've been reading in these books with the Munchkins being interviewed, they were obsessed with Judy. They loved Judy. They loved her. Which yeah, we'll they talk all more like about. loved being there and like, or maybe not loved, but they all like look back on it with a fondness. It seems. It seems. You know? I'll I'll share it this. Seems. I'll share this one little. This one girl who was actually six years old who when she filmed this. Wow. So, like, we ha- I think this is important to do because this kid had a very unique experience. Like, <laughs> six to years us. old. Right. Okay. So she was from the dance school that was nearby at the time. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. I was blonde and tiny for six, and I could sing. I could dance. I was terrified the whole time I was on the set because of the little people. They were mean. They would bump into you and say mean things to you. Ask me who Mm. I was going to be when I grew up. You sure think you're cute, don't you? I remember those comments. I remember the odor of the little people sweating. Kids don't sweat like adults do. I was scared the whole time I was on set. There were people... Every place, people yelling, almost like an other world feeling. It was also the largest set I'd ever been on. I mean, that's from the eyes mm-hmm. of like a little child wow. on that set. I mean, that is so wild to presence of like this little girl is in the same role as grown adults. Right. Well, I think that also gets into just from reading about some of these little people's experiences and what they've said mm-hmm. is like, I guess from when you're a kid, maybe you don't fully understand, you know, like how, like you're the same size or maybe similar in size, but they're an adult. So maybe they're, I think as a kid, it's easier to feel like fear or who knows if maybe they did bump into her, but she, she interprets it that way or maybe they did. I don't know. But there's also that element of like, I'm six and I'm confused about the world. A hundred. It's a six-year-old. Trying to understand. It's a six-year-old remembering as an adult what this (laughs) film was like. So that's like a whole thing too. It's also funny to hear some of the stories of some of the kids got smart though. Like the actual kids on set would hide so they didn't have to go to school and just blend in. (laughs) And then there's other stories. There's other stories of the little people who are adults being mistaken for the kids and being right. like grabbed right. by the hand by tutors. And they're and like, teachers. no, I am an adult. Leave me alone. And like just the fact oh. that they were wandering also, like they wandered the MGM lot a lot. <laughs> And like would right. run and just be like starstruck all the time. These sweet, <laughs> these sweet little people. Like this, this also like was such an experience for um People from all over the country. Yeah, like, and like some of, I want to talk about this to end it a little bit deeper, end our time in Munchkinland, because I think it's so beautiful. Like, we were just, we talked about with like Glinda's bubble, um, like this, you know, Dorothy seeing a a whole new world when Glinda enters. It's the same thing with these Mm -hmm. little people. Like, they hadn't seen other people who looked like them. No, a a lot of them, a, a lot of them had never been 
in the company of that many that many little people right right? like what would that feel like if you were in that position i probably want a few drinks different i probably want to go yes (laughs) hey tell me about your life like we have a shared experience right i want to go out for drinks because and you're in hollywood you know you're like i'm a movie star i'm working on a movie this is a i can understand this is a funny story actress rita johnson in route to work in metro's broadway serenade was similar um was similarly duped meaning she didn't know if um, a little person was a child or (laughs) an actual little person. One December morning Mm -hmm. while driving to the studio, she saw a boy with his thumb, his thumb in the universal hitchhiking position. Johnson stopped Mm -hmm. thinking she was giving a school child a lift, but to her amazement, the tiny person turned out to be a fellow coworker and one of the little people performing in The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Oh, wow. So sweet. Like, it had to just be such a, a... wild thing to witness um like the mgm Mm -hmm. lot kind of get turned on its head and they also they didn't even realize this they weren't equipped to handle this this size on their on their lot like most of their stuff was inaccessible bathrooms were inaccessible so they had to hire people like kind of like burly men i'm guessing is who they hired to like be human elevators that's what who I would read. like lift the munchkins to certain things right. help help in the bathroom if need be but yes. I was like whoa mm-hmm. no it's I mean this was not this was there weren't many films if any that had 124 little people actors so you have to think of how this lot functioned with that in mind right and so. that, this is a huge thing right now that I'm starting to pay a little bit more attention to in like the theater world in general too of like mm-hmm accessibility accessibility and i think i think about that all the time just with like life things right and like i think about that with the subway near us like our subways are inaccessible if you don't if if you don't have legs that can go up and downstairs like our Mm -hmm. subways are inaccessible i think about um the oklahoma revival that would happen recently at circle in the square and there was an actress yes um ali stroker who was the actress to win the supporting Mm -hmm. actress tony award for her role as adu annie um uses a wheelchair as a part of her mobility and Mm -hmm. this whole theater wasn't ready to have her was not accessible like she She was like how do i get to work Right. And thank God this production team was like, well, we'll make it work. And like, that's yeah. only going to now make this space more accessible for future productions, hiring, future, yeah. hiring um, people from the disabled mm-hmm. community. And like, that's yeah. what the goal should be. Like, we should be making spaces that think about every single human. And I know that's hard. Mm-hmm. And I know it doesn't happen in one first swoop. And I know money's at play. But if we're not thinking about everyone what does that say mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. that these or things if you think it's not not if it's you're like oh well it's too expensive or it's an inconvenience it's like but it's totally worth it because it's a human who should be able right. to get to their job on broadway or should be able I, to go see a show or whatever it may be i also feel like that might be a little a bit of a myth it might not be that hard to do some of these changes right they if, made it work they made it happen right, right. for the show so right and like yeah yeah she, she's incredible oh ali soaker yes a huge fan yeah huge fan yeah. she was perfect in that show which i did get to see yeah. before it closed so as you mentioned uh leo singer did not have the best reputation and i was reading that from a couple of the actors uh memories they remembered him offering to hire them for six hundred dollars a week 
Yes. And he also was trying to find uh, little people from other troops, one of yes. them being Harvey Williams and his little people. Mm-hmm. The contract was initially four weeks long, but there's differing accounts. One other little person mentioned that he was offered $50 a week. Yeah. Compared to 600 Mm-hmm. And then when they did get to Hollywood, Leo wouldn't pay them what he promised. So finally, MGM stepped in, and they were sort of independently paying them. Thankfully. This guy's a crook. Thankfully. Crook. Ugh. So MGM originally hoped for 200 uh, Little People actors. Singer had difficulty finding 100. And as we mentioned, it, in the end, there were 124 Actors who arrived in mid-November. Yeah, and I think there's even some speculation if that number is exactly correct. Right. It seems (laughs) around there, but I mean, honestly, who knows? I think that was the press number that was put out. Right. They ended up working for nine weeks. The first month of that (laughs) was was just them getting fitted for their costumes. That's why they look fierce. They look fierce. They look fierce because... Fierce by Adrian. Yes. Fierce by Adrian. Ooh, can I talk about the costumes for one? Oh tiny my gosh, of course. Moment? Okay. I am obsessed with the Munchkins wardrobe. It's, I want to know everything. I mean, the fact that it's not uniform is tremendous. Yeah. Like, everyone has their own personality. Um, They're very unique. Highlighted in the costume. Like, I always make jokes that sometimes if I'm a, in a show, like, my choice can be the, the costume. Like, I don't have to do anything. Like, just let the costume speak. Here it is. Oh, my gosh. I think of Jackie Hoffman, who was grandmama <sighs> yes. in Adam's Family, the musical on Broadway. Yes. And I watched her Broadway World backstage videos back in the day. They and were everything. They're so funny. And she's getting her wig on in one of the episodes, and she's like, there it is, my wig, my only acting choice. <laughs> and I was on the floor. Yes. But these costumes That's what it is. just are dazzling. So this yeah. is a, a quote in the making of book by Marion Parker, mm-hmm. who spent 10 years between 1933 and 1943 at the sewing machine. So she was in the wardrobe department. She was there. Yes. Um, and she talks about the munchkins being sent in one by one to have their felt shoes pinned together on their feet. Like, the shoes were custom made to their feet. There was a side cut on each side with a seam in the back, and we sewed them together on a machine. The shoes had curly Q toes Mm -hmm. that were sewn on separately. They remind me of my Grinch, um, how the Grinch that stole Christmas. um, They feel like Whoville. Yeah, like Whoville shoes. Mm -hmm. Little turned up cornucopias at the end of the toes. Mm -hmm. Ah! So there yeah. was just so much detail put into these costumes and, like, yeah. care. I mean, they were not ordering from Amazon.com. No. No bulk load. Everything was custom made. <laughs> Amazon <laughs> munchkin costumes. <laughs> yeah, I read that Adrian also had the idea that the vests for the men would be oversized so that it would just even make them maybe appear smaller as well. Um, and as you were mentioning, they're... These molds that they made, these wigs, all of this makeup, they hired 40 extra makeup artists yeah. to make this happen. Yes. And so basically the whole month. It's like of an assembly line. They would literally move to the next person. Literally how it would work is the, the actors would get to the studio at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. The makeup artists would get there at 5.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. And for about two and a half hours, they would, exactly, they would sit in chairs and be like, 
here's your nose. And they would have multiple noses like for each person specifically made for them. And then it would be like, now you're in this chair. Okay, now you're getting your wig. Now you're here. We're going to zip you up. Now you're there. So many prosthetics. <sighs> so many prosthetics. <laughs> so many of, so many. Well, it's actually, it's interesting to see some of the Munchkins headshots, like their actor headshots mm-hmm. away from their Munchkin looks because they truly don't look the same. Like the facial features yeah. were really altered for a lot of them. Yeah. Um, especially like the Lollipop Guild. That's like 100%. the ones I specifically think of. They're like eyebrows and yeah. their, their curly Q hair yeah. styles. I don't know if I would like recognize their faces. Right. right. Yeah. It made it um, easy, I think, for some. There would be, moving away from the movie, a lot of people, little people, would say they were in The Wizard of Oz who were not in The Wizard of Oz. They're like, yeah, I was totally there. <laughs> Which, I mean, you could kind of get away with in that time because there's no credits. Too. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> there was no credits. I wish that people was People didn't look how like themselves. I know. Oh my just gosh. say Yeah, I was say totally it. there. Um, I thought this interesting. 32 men and three women would have special business to do. 32 men initially, and only right? three women. Yeah. It was like, you are actually featured, you know, the Lullaby League. Right? Is there anyone else who has like a moment? There's a little a woman? sweet, mousy, Cinderella mousy woman at the end. Right, yeah. With the That's high voice. That's it, though. And everyone else is... Everyone yeah, else is a man, a man. which... Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Um, Bobby Connolly was the dance director yes. here, and he had an assistant who was 24, Donna Masson. Yeah, she's done a ton of documentaries and interviews yes. afterwards. She's in a couple Judy things that I've watched Ooh, as well. Yeah. And but she it, taught all the dances. Yes, and she makes jokes of like, she does. It's skip, it was skipping. <laughs> I or taught like skipping. acting through skipping. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, but then we were watching it. Like, there's there are some twirls. Little, there's some twirls. There's cute movement in there. And it's a yeah. lot of, like, it's a lot of coordination. Like, trying to get everyone on the same There's, yeah, over 100 But I think people? they wanted Busby Berkeley, but he was not available. So this was... Our favorite Busby. <laughs> Busby Berkeley. Um, who I think had not a good relationship with Judy moving forward. Oh. I think oh, they right, had right, a really right. yeah. there fractured relationship. Mm-hmm. Um I think he was quite abusive from what I've heard on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was supposed to be him initially. And then Bobby came in and Donna basically ran all the rehearsals. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's this interesting quote. I mean, it just feels appropriate for Mervyn Leroy in Al Jean's book. He, he remembers in his interview that he hired only little people who were little and cute and looked perfect. Oh, yeah, I saw that quote. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, just a reflection of the time of, like, they were painting this glossy, magical yeah. world. They had a certain aesthetic they aesthetic. wanted. I mean, we read the other call that was put out for actors. And right. that's, like, har- we would consider that harmful now. Yeah. We would 100%. consider that exclusive, not inclusive. Yeah. Um, this wouldn't fly. Which no. it is really good to see what it was, though, and not ignore it. Because it does show that things do change. Like, that is the one hope yeah. that I get. Or not the one hope. <laughs> it's the one. The one hope. <laughs> it's a hope that I ha- I get from this, though. Like, looking yeah. back and being like, oh, this wouldn't fly today. Yeah, things we have s- changed. We still have our problems. We still have so much to fight for. But it's just promising to see that things can change. Yes. 
Thank you for that. So Margaret Pellegrini, who was a Munchkin villager, and she's pretty, yeah, she, Margaret. yeah, she's around in like yeah. interviews from Ozfests and things later on. Mm-hmm. Um, she talks about Donna Masson. Masson, Masson. Um, Donna showed everyone the steps. Those that could do it were put in the front of the crowd scenes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and another Munchkin actor, Prince Dennis, recalled that most of the hard work involved coordinating the choreography was with lip syncing. Was was the lip syncing to the lyrics of "Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead," and they didn't use their own voices. They were dubbed in. Someone else said our lines, which was then re-recorded to make them sound that way, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, we'll talk about how that all happened. There, this is a funny story. Australian reporter Alon Jones told of watching over a hundred little people trying to learn the tune, as Clark Gable also looked on when Gable cracked. To the rehearsal pianist, why don't you use half tones for these little fellows? The munchkins gave him the raspberry. The raspberry. <laughs> There's even a mention here that um, Toto would sometimes get, like, caught in the fray of the marching and everything. That feels right. We think we might have caught something watching. Like, there's a little Toto slip down the steps yeah. before, I think, Dorothy boards the carriage. It looks like he falls. Yeah, it just takes a little tumble. So Toto apparently also had some training from Bobby Connolly's um, dance services. So apparently yes. there may have been some footage that were deleted of Toto keeping time with the Munchkin <gasps> army. Yes, Toto! And this is this is it. This is where, as the music begins, Toto, for no apparent reason, trips down the steps of the town hall, where he yes. has been standing with Dorothy and falls in line behind the marching munchkin soldiers. This may have been the lead-in for the dance moves, which Connolly <gasps> was referring. Oh my god! So that's from, this is from the road to yeah. Oz book. Isn't that a fun little tidbit? I love that. I mean, we both noticed that. We were like, where's he... Where's Terry Do-do-do. going? She's like, it's like a little, like, oops. I- <laughs> Terry does it all, so I'm not surprised. So also, just, like, take a little peek. There's my favorite. Oh, my gosh. I was Olga. telling Em um, I'm obsessed with the Middle Lullaby League. We'll get to her yeah. in a moment. But she's, she's just so cute. Her name is Olga Nardone. The Dancing Doll. The Dancing Doll, Olga Nardone. So cute. Oh, so adorable. So precious. There's a little picture of her in this book that yeah. just is delightful. Yeah. So, um, yeah, how's this journey going? This journey is happening. <laughs> Ken Darby. Yes, Ken Darby Singers with Victor Young and Ken his orchestra. Ken Darby Singers. <laughs> so, Kenneth Darby, he was a, an American composer, a vocal arranger, lyricist, conductor, Um, his film scores, basically he won three Academy Awards. He won a Grammy Award. And he and his choral group, the Ken Darby Singers, sang backup for Bing Crosby on the original 1942 recording of White Christmas. Yes. So he has quite the reputation for the golden age of Hollywood. White the reputation. Oh, I, I wanted to tell you about this yesterday and I couldn't remember who it was. It's him. He was a composer and production supervisor for Walt Disney Studios yes. and was choral and vocal director on the 1946 Disney film Song of the South. That non-problematic. Not our favorite film, film of all time. Yeah, this man's career scoped a lot, including He did that. a lot. He did um, a lot. He also, I think, worked 
intensely with Elvis Presley for yes. quite some time. He was the principal composer on Love Me Tender, which was a 1956 Elvis Presley film. Mm-hmm. He was Marilyn Monroe's yeah. vocal coach. What? Just crazy. And he's also featured in The Wizard of Oz. He mm-hmm. is the voice of the mayor that is in the film portrayed by Charlie Becker. Mm-hmm. But like we said, most of the Munchkins were dubbing voices that were not their own. Right. I don't um, think any of their voices are actually used. From no. what I read. No, from what I read, maybe a few. Right. Maybe a few, but those music rehearsals, I think, were apparently, they didn't go yeah. well. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, so basically, Ken Darby was the vocal arranger, and he came up with the idea of recording the audio at 72 feet per minute instead of the usual 90 feet per minute, and he would sing it or have the singer sing it at a slower pace in a different key. <laughs> That's literally what it was. So keep that in your ears, y'all. And then he would play it back. Keep going. I'm sorry. That's exactly what it was. Can you imagine? Then he would play it back at 90 feet per minute. So he would speed it up. And that's why it sounds kind of like Alvin and the Chipmunky. Yeah. Very high pitched. So he basically created like this new gear in order to do it. And he would play back what he did, what he recorded, and it was one-fourth higher. Wow. Because apparently it just, their music rehearsals were not going well. And fun fact, we'll get into this much later, but he reversed that for the Winkies. So. <gasps> so cool. Ken Darby knows what is up. I feel like Ken Darby would be really good with the harmonizing pedal. I think Yeah. I forget what it's called. It's like a kind of singing that is becoming more popular now where you can basically make harmonies with yourself. I, saw, I heard someone I'm do it the other day. It. It's crazy. It does like a third above, third below. It's so cool. I, it's pretty cool. There's an artist I'm obsessed with. Her name is Grace McLean, and she is so good with it. It's yeah. just super fun to watch. I love it. It's pedals. also like so fun to watch live. Like pedals watch are someone fun. record and then sing on top of it. It's yeah. so cool. Oh, like so, a looping. Loop, that's like it. A looper. Vocal looping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. They Thank do you. make some that literally you the sing looper. into it, and you don't even loop it. It just like does it. It's very automated. It's wow. crazy, but the looper Technology. is... Technology. Like, on YouTube, y'all go just, I don't know, type in looping, looper pedal vocalist. Yes. Listen, because listen it's to loopers. Cool. It's really cool. It's a whole layering process. I also feel, I feel like a lot of people may have gotten into looping in the pandemic because you don't have any options <gasps> yeah. to sing with anyone. Like, Here I am. If you're I'm on your own. Looping. Yeah, it's very cool. Right. Oh, thank you for reminding me of what that was called. My yeah. Yeah. Dying. I also read that, this is just a fun fact, in 1940, so keep in mind there was not a, like, nowadays we're like, there's a Spotify playlist of this new movie that I love. That That did not happen back in the day. There was not a actual soundtrack to The Wizard of Oz. Right. Until 1940, the Ken Darby singers sang on the first album ever made of the songs from The Wizard of Oz. However... The album was a studio cast recording, not a true soundtrack, although it did feature Judy Garland, uh, but it did not use the film's original arrangements, and obviously none none of the original singers, like Billy Burke wasn't there, Ray Bolger, no, none of them. It was Ken Darby and then Judy Garland. That's wild. 1940. I, I need to hear some of those recordings. I would like to know what that's all about. 
Should we get back to the come out? Come, come out. out! So now coming into this beautiful Munchkinland medley, starting with come out, come out. I just think it's really funny that it's the assumption of she must be from a star. So that makes me she think that any visitors they have come to the land of Oz... Are aliens? Are aliens coming from stars? <laughs> yeah. Or, or like, witch people coming from stars? Is this, like, a normal thing? Like, do people just... Fall from stars? Fall and they're like, it's a witch. Cool. I don't know, but I just love the, like, immediate, like, oh, yeah, Kansas oh, is a star. Yeah. Like, that immediate... I kind of love that. ...assumption. And I also love, like, when it gets into... The wind began to switch the house to pitch land. Yeah. How the munchkins have an excellent memory. They are able to repeat that back. This just happened. (laughs) It landed on the Wicked Witch in the middle of a ditch. Yeah, and they're able to just sing it back one, two, three. Their memories are impeccable. (laughs) I also want to talk about a little controversy. I've been waiting for this. A little controversy. You told me that this was a thing. Okay, and I I think it's cleared up now. So, this I read in the Billy Burke book book mm-hmm. and this is all has to do with the lyrics of come out come out wherever you are which is one of the only moments billy burke's voice is even featured in this whole entire thing because right. glinda doesn't really sing so in john fricky's book hey john, john Fricky. the wizard of oz the official 50th anniversary pictorial which we have the author himself states that lorraine bridges was later called in to redo the singing for burke's glinda and this is the party line oh. held to by several Oz writer. So, I've heard this. So, so some people stick to this being true. But a lot has been added to Oz scholarship since 1989 when that book was written. Fricky says it's now accepted by most historians that Billy did her own singing, and there is proof to back it up. So let me talk about this. There are scores of five by seven cards from the MGM files that cite movie by movie who was brought in to do vocal double work or extra work mm. or pre-recording work. This is what John says. The card for The Wizard of Oz cites Lorraine Bridges working on Oz and being paid a whopping $25 extra to dub for Billy specifically. Wow. Once a few writers and historians got hold of this, it was trumpeted around the world. One author even comments on this remarkable vocal sound alike, Lorraine Bridges. Well, when did the first deluxe Laserdisc in 1993 of Oz to include all the surviving pre-recordings from the soundtrack, underscoring and alternate audio tracks, we went back to the documentation. And it's not just the tracks. You hear the technicians say, okay, production 1060, take 20, something like that. And there's Billy and Judy singing at the beginning of the Munchkinland sequence. So they had to go back to like listen to footage that had never really been listened what? to. I want to listen to the it's, it's obviously the track that was included in the film. From the paperwork, we know that Lorraine Bridges did later tracks, but they did not use these. Her tracks wow. were not even kept, which is more proof positive. Mm. So now Ooh. John Fricky says there's no question that it's Billy Burke. The paperwork you, proves it. Period. Period. Done. <laughs> Don't bring it up again. And also, like, just to give a little Billy Burke love, she had formal vocal training as a young woman and indeed got her start in musical comedy. She had sung on stage. Um, And while those examples are lost, she did sing in several of her films before and after Oz, as well as on her radio show that we talked about in the (laughs) mid-1940s. Which was not a healthy situation for The rhymes are great. (laughs) These rhymes... 
are great. My favorite is and was reduced to just a stitch. Just a stitch. <laughs> what's what's a slitch? The kitchen took a slitch. I think like, I think it, it got I got I see like it getting like split in half. <laughs> the kitchen took a slitch. A slitch. Yeah, this the, is really golden age. We're gonna rhyme lyrics. witch sitch so stitch good. twit. It's great. Before we move forward, I just want to present something that happened during the Munchkinland sequence being shot, because this is kind of like Judy's glorious moment as this wind began to switch, twitch. So good. Um, twitch, like twitch, the new app where you can hit. stream, you I, could stream videos. My cousin was telling me all, <laughs> she gets paid to do that. And I was like, tell me about Twitch. She gets paid to Twitch. She gets paid to Twitch. <laughs> Twitch and TikTok are worlds I do not know. All the tea. My age is showing. <laughs> but during um, Munchkinland sequence, MGM ceremoniously presented Judy with a mobile dressing room of her own <gasps> because it was a symbol of having attained critical, popular, and financial status at oh, the studio. Geez. So she had, I think, ended her time as a contract player and now was being seen as a star, yes. a leading vehicle. But this is not Garland's first and only portable dressing room. <gasps> Motion picture for February 1938 told of Garland's pride for her tiny square green room on wheels, nothing elaborate or fussy, that had previously belonged to actress Marie Dressler. However, the Oz trailer was larger, and the first custom decorated for Garland's exclusive use, this is going to get really funny in a second, <gasps> Munchkin player Margaret, she's back up, Margaret! Green, was Margaret. among the extras who recalled that Judy generously allowed the little people to walk through her new quarters. Aww. Six months later, though, Garland nearly burned down her new trailer when she was cooking on an electric plate and the curtains got fire, <gasps> damaging her dressing table before the pl- flames were put out. Judy. Judy! That would be me, because I don't know how to do cooking. Be careful, girl. Six months later. She's only, like, 16. I'm like, here you go. You own this thing now. But, yeah, that was a cool moment. And all the munchkins walked through and paraded through it and got to, like, bask in this, like, big upgrade for Judy. So she got to have that. Seems like they had a good relationship. It's so confusing. We'll talk like more about like that. Like moments like that. And then like at the end, I, she gave, I, for Christmas, she gave them all candy. Yeah, and her right? headshot, I think. And like, she, she signed her headshot. headshot. She's like, here you go. A lot of them still have those headshots. Those are like preserved Stop. in some of these books. Like Stop. just copies of them. I am them. not okay with that. Something That's I amazing. did read recently, and I don't know where, because I have 20 books in front of me. I think it might be in the Munchkin Remembers. They break down the Jack Parr interview. That's where things took a shift when Judy had a little distaste for right. the Munchkins. And, and it was some things it was that kind of I think she was trying to make Jack Parr laugh and she was But then it turned into soured. now it's like folklore. Yeah. Of and, like, oh, they didn't treat her well. And or, Liza has come to say like my mom exaggerated. Ah, like she was dramatic, especially in those later years. She was on a lot of things yeah. too. So we and we don't know what she had before she remembering maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tightening, yeah. yeah, just making things sound it's a certain way. It's a story, way. yeah. At that point, yes. So wow. even like that's that's what was said in this Munchkin Remembers book about Judy possibly heightening that story. Yeah. I can Who knows? I like. I truly. I think like we're. It does. It doesn't matter if we know or not. Right. You know what I mean? It's like. Whoever, if there was any harm done, that's important, I guess, to investigate. But, like, at this point, no one's alive anymore. We can only share the stories that are being passed down. Yeah. But, yeah, so that's, we'll get more into that.
so much for listening to Down the Yellow Brick Pod. If you are feeling frisky with your fingertips, scroll on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a glowing rate and review. Each person who leaves us a review will be entered to win our end-of-the-season Oz giveaways, including a gift basket of musical adaptation goods, which, trust me, you aren't going to want to miss. All previous reviews will also be considered in our entries. We see you. Until next time, catch us at Down the Yellow Brick Pod in our Technicolor scrapbook on IG and partying on our Patreon. Gratitude to our patrons of present and future for making more magic possible. Let's escape to Oz soon, okay? TTYL!